Matthew chapter 25. I'm just going to read right through it, verse 1 to 13, and then we're going to go back and, and look at each verse a little bit. Matthew 25, verse 1 to 13. Jesus is speaking. This is at the very end of his earthly ministry. Matter of fact, Matthew 25 is his last sermon. That's his last message. He said, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins. These ten virgins, they took their lamps, and they went out to meet the bridegroom God. Verse 2. Now five of these virgins were wise, and five of them were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps, but they took no oil. But Verse 4, but the wise ones, they took oil in their vessels with their lamps. I'm going to have you turn this down just a little bit. Verse 5, but when the bridegroom was delayed, that means the second coming, they all slumbered and they all slept. Verse 6, but at the midnight hour, a cry throughout the land was heard. The cry went forth, behold, the bridegroom, he is coming. Rise up, go out to meet him. Then all of the virgins, all ten of them, all ten of them arose, and they trimmed their lamps. Verse 8, the foolish, the five foolish virgins said to the five wise ones, give us some of your oil, because our lamps are going out. Our lamps are going out. The light's gone. The fire's gone in our own lamp. Very important, verse 9. The wise virgins answered, No, lest there should not be enough for us and for you, but rather go to those who sell and buy for yourselves your own oil, is what they're saying. Verse 10. And while these five foolish virgins went out to get their own oil, to buy their own oil, the bridegroom came. But those who were ready, the five wise ones, they went in with the bridegroom, they went in with him to the wedding celebration. And then the door was shut. And afterwards, the other five virgins... They said, Lord, Lord, let us celebrate in this wedding celebration. Open up the door to us. And the Lord answered, he said, no. Assuredly, I say to you, I don't know you. Now, it's important to understand, he doesn't say, I never knew you. Because he's talking to born-again people right here. He's saying, I don't know you in intimacy. I don't know you as a bridegroom. I don't know you as a bride. I only know you. I've only related to you in a distant way because you've never drawn near me. That's what he's saying. Verse 13. Then Jesus gives a warning to all of his people. He says, watch therefore. Now, to watch means to have a watchful spirit, which means, in essence, to develop a prayer life. Whenever the New Testament talks about being watchful, it's talking about several things. I don't want to go into that right now. But at the essence of it, it means develop a prayer life, develop an ongoing dialogue with your heart and the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, therefore, verse 13, be watchful. For you don't know the day nor the hour of which the Son of Man is coming. Let's go back to verse 1. Jesus makes some very dramatic statements. Matthew 25, verse 1. He said, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be like ten virgins who took their lamps and they went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, there's several points here. First is that lamps 
in the Bible, in this context, speak of ministries. Your lamp is the, is the uh, way that you shine the light to other people so they can follow the Lord or obey the Lord. Every one of you in this room, the Lord has entrusted a lamp to you, so to speak, figuratively speaking. It is your ministry. It's where you show others the light. So point one in verse one is that all ten of these virgins had ministries. They all had lamps. Every one of you in this room have a ministry. Maybe it's one-on-one. Maybe it's a small group ministry. Maybe it's out on the street in the outreach. Maybe it's in the children's uh, ministry. I don't know. Maybe it's just one-on-one friendship where you're sharing the word to other people. Every one of you have a lamp. The second point I want to mention for verse 1 is that all ten of the people that Jesus is referring to are virgins. And spiritually, in the New Testament, every single born-again believer has been made, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, it's a glorious verse, verse 2 and 3, every single believer, no matter how, how horrible your past has been, because of Jesus, you have been made a pure virgin in God's sight as a free gift the day you were born again. There is no spot or blemish whatsoever in your relationship with the Lord in terms of standing before Him. Jesus paid the price and opened the door for us. Now most of you are really clear about that fundamental point of the kingdom of God. That you stand clean. You're born again. It's a free gift. It's been given to you. So, but notice this. It's important for you to understand the parable. All ten are virgins and all ten have a lamp. Meaning, these are born again leaders in ministry. They're born again people and they have a ministry. But he's particularly talking to leadership. Although the principle applies to everyone. Because who's he talking to right now? He's talking to the 12 apostles. And the next thing that's going to happen, he's going to go to the upper room and then he's going to go to the cross. He's talking to the 12 apostles about leadership. He's talking about ministries that are born again. Now notice also in verse 1. It says that the 10 virgins took their lamp... And all ten of them went out to meet the bridegroom. Meaning these were not just kind of casual, I don't really care about what's happening in the kingdom of God type people. These were people who understood Jesus as a bridegroom. At one point in time, in their earlier walk in God, they went out to meet the bridegroom. Meaning... When the bridegroom conference was held, they were the first one to sign up. Well, even more specifically, when the bridegroom conference, I'm just making up, um, there's many of them across the land. That's not really the name of them, but they're all called different things, but they're about the bridegroom. There's many of them that are being raised up across the land these days. If you don't have one in your cities, have one. Maybe only three people will come, but get a bridegroom conference going in your area. Not only did these people sign up and go to the conference, these were the teachers and the seminar leaders in the conference. I want you to follow this. This is very important. These ten virgins had lamps. They had ministries. And they had an encounter with Jesus, the bridegroom God. They were not unaware of the revelation of the bridegroom God. Now some of you, Jesus as a bridegroom is a new idea. You like the idea, maybe it's a little odd, but you say, you know, it's biblical, it's new, but I'm interested. But others of you, you know this idea, you've known it for some years now, two, three, four, five years or longer. Some of you have been teaching on the bridegroom. Now at IHOP, we have a conference 
every month. We got a little conference center, about a 1500 seat one in South Kansas City. It's a little building. We have a conference like every month. This, this one time a year we come down here to the big room. And so my point being, many of our seminars are taught by 22 year olds, 23, 24, many young teachers. And when we, you know, we have maybe 20 or 30 teachers at every conference, at the seminars and the breakouts. Because we want to give young people a chance to sing and to teach and to, you know, to all kinds of opportunities. That's one of our uh, real values here. But when we talk to some of them, what do you want to teach? Probably 25 out of 30 go, I want to talk about the bridegroom. I like that. I go, I can't have bridegroom introduction, bridegroom part one, bridegroom going deeper, bridegroom the overview, bridegroom experience. You know, they all have different titles. They all say the same thing. Bridegroom, bridegroom, bridegroom. I love it. As the leader of the ministry here, I go, there's nothing that makes me happier. But here's the problem. Jesus is talking to the leaders of the bridegroom conferences. He's talking to the people who actually experienced the bridegroom God and taught others about it. And they actually had a lamp. And five of them lost their way over time. They actually had experience with Jesus as a bridegroom. But through the rigors of life, in the everyday routine mundaneness of life, they got disconnected from the reality that they were very connected to at one time earlier in their life. Now, nobody does this on purpose. Nobody says, you know, I've taught ten bridegroom conferences. I think I'm going to backslide next year. I've never met anyone who does this on purpose. But I've been teaching on the bridegroom for some years now, and I've watched this. It's nearly 20 years I've been teaching on the bridegroom, and I've watched this. Many people get on fire about this, and they have this new experience with the Lord, and they can't wait to tell everybody, and it's real, and it's alive. But two, three, four, five years later, they haven't continued to go deep And they lose the oil in their life in God. And they lose connection with Jesus in an intimate way. Even though they taught on it many times in small groups. Or or they told their friends or read many books or wrote books on it. The idea that you teach on it or sing on it is not a guarantee that you will stay steady and you will stay connected with it. Now I'm not trying to scare you. But I want us to have a sober, a sober reality according to this parable of Jesus. Now in verse 1, we're going to look at another word. It's the word then. Now the question you most naturally ask, when is then? Because Jesus said, then the kingdom of God will be like virgins meeting the bridegroom. When is this going to happen? Hasn't the kingdom of God always been like ten virgins bringing their lamps to meet a bridegroom? Well, ideally, yes. From the first coming of Jesus for 2,000 years, Jesus has always been the bridegroom extending his hand to us on the basis of the cross to come into a bridal relationship with him. And remember, if you were not here last night, being the bride of Christ has is not a reference to gender. Women are the sons of God, just like men are the bride of Christ. Being the bride of Christ does not, I mean, speaks of a position of experiencing God's heart. Being a son of God is the position of experiencing God's power. We want to be sons of God and experience power, but we want to function as the bride of Christ and we want to experience His heart. As I said last night, we won't use His power right if we don't experience His heart in a right way. But if you read the context of Matthew 24 and 25, you will understand that it's one, it's one passage. It's only, I'm sad, that 
chapter 25, the, the chapter division broke the teaching up because when Jesus gave the teaching, it was Matthew 24 and 25. It was one afternoon. He gave the whole teaching in one setting. My point is this. You can't understand the context of Matthew 25, the passage we're looking at, if you don't a little bit understand the context of Matthew 24. Because right now, in verse 1, he's in the middle of a message. The message doesn't begin in verse 1. It begins in Matthew 24, verse 1. He's right in the middle of one of his teachings. So you have to look backwards. When is then? And many of you know, Matthew 24 is all about the generation of the second coming of Christ. What Jesus is saying, in the generation, when I return at the second coming, at that time, the Holy Spirit will will reveal a revelation of me as a bridegroom all across the world. And at that time, all of the ministries that are obeying the Spirit and listening to the Spirit, they will be encountering and proclaiming Jesus the bridegroom. I believe we're approaching that time right now. I believe in the next 10 or 20 years, if the Lord doesn't return, and I think it's very possible He will not return in the next 10 or 20 years, I believe it's a little bit longer than that. But again, nobody in heaven is asking my opinion. They like me up there, but I don't get to vote on these kind of things at all. But I believe... That now is the then. We are now in the generation where the kingdom of God, all of the virgin ministries, which is all ministries, we've been made pure as a virgin in God's sight as a free gift. That's an instantaneous thing that happened to you because of Jesus' death on the cross. Has nothing to do with your former conduct. It has everything to do with what he did for you. These, verse 1, then the kingdom of heaven will be like ministries, I'm going to change the wording slightly, ministries who take their lamps, their ministries, and they're shining and they're bringing light to other people, but in the context, they are encountering the bridegroom. They're going out to meet the bridegroom. Now, I believe that most of you in this room, if not all of you, When you leave this conference, at least this is our prayer, that you will have a deeper zeal. Some of you it will be new, but others of you, you've been doing this for years. You will have a deeper commitment and zeal to rise up and to exert time and energy to meditate on the Scripture, to experience Jesus as a bridegroom. You're going to go out of here and you say, I want to know the Song of Solomon. I want to know the passionate bridegroom. I want to know who I am as His cherished bride. And you're going to have this new energy. And even though you've had it, our prayers, you'll go up a notch. You'll go up a level in your commitment and in your resolve. And in that sense... You're going out to meet the bridegroom. Meaning, you're exerting some effort to encounter the Lord. The Lord is offering to all of us freely. He's saying, I will encounter anyone who wants me, but I won't make you encounter me. The Lord is offering Himself, but we must say yes. More than that, we must put the Word of God in our heart. We must take time and cultivate a prayer life. Now, when I was 18 years old, I told I tell this story every year at the One Thing Conference, six years in a row. When I was 18 years old, my youth leaders told me, Mike, you got to get a prayer life. And I went, ugh. So I got a bunch of books on prayer. And they said, if you don't get a prayer life, you will never, ever go anywhere where God wants you to go. You won't go deep in God. And I went, ugh. So I bought these books on prayer, and I'd read them. If you don't pray, everything bad will happen. If you don't pray, if you don't, I went, oh, I'd read them day by day, and I felt miserable. The only thing I hated more than reading the books was actually going to the prayer room. 
At eight o'clock at night, at nine o'clock at night, I was at the University of Missouri. Nine o'clock every night. It was the fateful hour. It was the hour of death. It was the valley of death at nine. I made a promise to God I would pray one hour a day. It was horrible. It was five minutes till nine every night. Sweat would begin to break out on my forehead. Oh no, the dreaded hour. I would sit in my room, shut my door. The other guys, I was in an apartment at the university, they would laugh in the other room. They're all Christians. They'd go, the guy's crazy. And I would sit there, God, thank you for arms and legs. Thank you. I played on the uh, University of Missouri football team. Let me score touchdowns. Let me get a cute girlfriend. Let me get A's without studying. And let me glorify you in your kingdom. I looked at my clock, my watch. 58 minutes to go. I looked down. I went, ah! And I would sit there. Then I started actually praying. I didn't even know I was praying, but I was. I said, God, this whole prayer thing is really silly. You know everything anyway. I mean, what's the deal? Am I like I'm telling you what you don't know? What is this deal anyway? I was actually praying when I was complaining. I didn't know that for years later. I always repented afterwards. I said, Lord, I got such a bad spirit. And if I could have heard the Lord, he might have said, no, you were praying the prayer of a young heart. That, that was good. I, was, I liked it. Well, just so you know, I never scored a touchdown, but I did get the girl. I got a really awesome wife, 30 years married. She's here. Where's my wife, Diane, at? She's here somewhere. Stand up, Diane. She's one of the head ushers. She ushers 8 in the morning till, till 10 every night. I got the girl. Anyway, didn't score any touchdowns, and I did not get A's without studying. I didn't even get A's when I did study. Well, that's another subject. I got arms and legs, so that, uh, so I feel like two out of four, it worked. But it was really a very difficult experience. When I was 18 years old, I there were four things I did not like. Really did not like. I did not like prayer. I did not like Bible study. I hated fasting. And I didn't really like witnessing, but I would do it a little bit if I had to, under pressure. So I said, here I am, God. I have a vision to change the world. My only problem is, I don't like prayer, Bible study, fasting, or witnessing. Other than that, I love you. I really do love you. Now, I had one thing going for me. I liked meetings. Anytime there was a meeting, I would go to it. That's the one thing I liked was meetings. Of course, half the time in the meeting, I was cutting up, cracking jokes, and I got kicked out of half of them, you know, like, Bickle, you can't come back to this meeting if you don't shut up while we're talking. Okay. Anyway, I'm not going to go there because I might encourage the wrong spirit. But I was one of those guys that still got a little bit of that in me. My point is... The Lord wants us to exert some effort in the process of knowing Him and encountering Him. He knows that we're weak. He knows that we're broken. He knows we can't make it on our own. Nobody prays good naturally. The whole of IHOP, a thousand of us are there at IHOP. Nobody automatically, effortlessly has a great prayer life. But we're working on it together. And we're moving forward inch by inch. Just We're just, sometimes it's three steps forward, two steps back. But we're still gaining ground over the months and over the years. My point is, this thing is doable for everybody. It's not for the super saints. You know why? Because there aren't any. There aren't any. The great men and women of God in history, when we meet them, 
On the other side, we will be shocked how much like us they were. We read these glorified stories of people that had no struggle and they said, Jesus, and the angels appeared and the power came on them and all they said was say, Lord, and everything happened. That isn't true. It isn't true for anybody from Paul the Apostle, Peter, James, John, King David, Elijah. Every one of them had times where they couldn't figure out what God was doing. They couldn't feel His presence. They faced their own weakness and sinned and they stumbled and they wanted to quit. They didn't know what was going to happen and they're the great heroes of faith. Beloved, this thing is doable. The end time move of God, the end time worship movement, prayer movement, where we encounter the bridegroom is doable for you and for me. I promise you it's doable. You would have told me when I was 18 years old, Mike, one of these days when you're really old, you're going to be leading a 24-hour prayer ministry. I would have roared. I would have said, you got the wrong guy. I hated prayer meetings. I can't lead a 24-hour prayer ministry. I would never go to it. I would preach about it. I would tell stories, but I would never really go to it. Well, over the years, the Lord changed my heart in a very, very radical way. And I'm not going to take a lot of time on that, but I want to tell you, I am a living example, and many in this room are, thinking of those on the IHOP staff and other houses of prayer, regardless what you call it, prayer ministries, let's say it that way, that are represented here. You are examples of people with a dull heart that couldn't pray, that couldn't feel God's presence, and the Lord changed you over the months and years. The world has got millions of people like this. It's people like you and me. Our propensity is to sin, to quit, to give up, and be depressed. That's the propensity of the human heart. You're not the only person that feels that way. The whole human race feels that way. But the Spirit of God is able to bring us forward step at a time. Beloved, there is hope for you. I I assure you. I've been in ministry 30 years, and I've seen the most messed up human beings that, that I can imagine, and I have seen them actually love the presence of God after a little bit of time. He said, I'll be the one guy that never breaks through. There is no such person. It's not about how sensitive you are. It's about the Holy Spirit's willingness to help you if you will get up and go out to meet Him. In other words, exert a little bit of effort. Clear a little bit of time on your schedule. Open your Bible. Get with a few other friends and say, you know, let's make, let's go forward. We don't know what to do, but let's just... Figure out how to go forward in the deep things of God. It it will happen. The Holy Spirit is an expert on getting people who don't know how to do this. He's an expert on equipping them to do this. Verse 2. Now, the great divide. You call this verse, verse 2 to 4, the great divide. And there's a great divide in the body of Christ. Five of the ministries are wise, and five of the ministries are foolish. Now, we know this is, this, this principle applies to everybody, but in, in context, it's talking to ministry leaders that have a lamp. Maybe it's a small group ministry. Maybe you're on a worship team. Maybe you're on a prayer group, but you have some sort of ministry. Now, notice, five were wise, And five were foolish. Jesus did not say they were evil. He did not say they were wicked. These are not evil, wicked people. They're foolish. There is a big difference between a foolish person who loves God and a wicked person. Now in verse 3 and verse 4, Jesus defines the difference between wisdom and folly in the most simple and profound way. It is amazing. I mean, when I began to first read this parable, I said, Lord, surely you're being a little bit simplistic. Surely wisdom 
And folly is not this simple. But I believe Jesus would say, I knew exactly what I was saying and I mean exactly what I said. Let's look at the foolish ones. Verse 3. What is the definition of a foolish leader in the body of Christ? Not an insincere one, a foolish one. There's a big difference. Not a wicked leader in the body of Christ, a foolish one. Here's what they do. Notice. They took their lamps. Now, remember what your lamp is, your ministry. That's what you shine light to other people. They took their lamps, but they didn't take oil. So in their priority, bringing their lamp and and increasing their ministry was first. Getting oil or developing their relationship with God, their intimacy with God, was second. Oil speaks of the oil of the Holy Spirit touching the heart. Oil speaks of the tenderizing effect of the Holy Spirit on our heart and our mind. Oil speaks of, you can give ten definitions to oil, they all mean the same thing. I'm just saying the same thing different ways. Oil speaks of the ability to feel the presence of God. And nobody feels the presence of God perfectly. Nobody in this age does. But we feel the presence of God somewhat and more in some seasons than we do in other seasons. But don't let anybody exaggerate that they are perfectly in the presence of God and it never ends. I used to read biographies like that and they made me want to quit. Then I found out years later a lot of those biographies were exaggerating a little bit. Verse 3. That's what I'm going to say some exaggeration. One of our big values at IHOP, I want all of our leaders not to exaggerate their experiences with God. Because if they exaggerate them, some young people, not all young people, but some young people will just simply believe them. And if they're exaggerated, they're really lies. And they end up condemning many, many people. Because the people believed them and they were not true and it ends up with condemnation. So I urge our leaders, when you talk about your experience with God, talk about the glorious part, but also talk about the struggle and the failure because you don't want your story to be an exaggeration because that leads to condemnation to the people who hear you. You want your story to be an encouragement to the people who hear you. So just take that with you. Those of you that tell people... You know, your testimony or in your teaching. Always tell the struggle. Don't only tell how glorious you and the Lord are, how close. He's so close I could touch him and it's that way 24 hours a day. I just don't believe it. That's not how it is in this age. However, we can feel his presence. And over time, many will feel his presence a lot more than they don't feel his presence. But the oil speaks of the inner life. And I don't mean just living in purity. It's more than purity. It's the connectedness with the Holy Spirit, which of course leads to purity. Which of course is the only way to walk in purity. But it's this, the term I use is active intimacy. This interaction, this dialogue of my heart and the Holy Spirit. My goal is to have an unbroken dialogue in my heart with the Holy Spirit. It does not happen. It breaks down many times throughout a day, but many times throughout the day, I am in a dialogue in my heart with the Holy Spirit. I am not at the place where it's 100%. But I know that dialogue is far stronger now than it was years ago. That's the oil. It's that feeling of God's heart. It's that talking to Him and a little bit understanding what He feels back towards me or or towards you. That's the oil. It's your secret, private relationship with the Holy Spirit. Or with God. Just say God. Because it's by the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 4. Look at the definition of wisdom. The wise ministry... They took their oil first, and they took their lamp second. It's that simple. Now now let me point this out. Let me just be redundant. In verse 3, the fools, the foolish ones, 
the number one thing they cared about was their lamp. My ministry must get bigger. They didn't care about the oil, the connectedness of their heart with God. I mean, they did care about it, but it was in second or third place. The wise ministries, they said, oh no, we're reversing it. Notice the order in verse 4. I'm going to have oil first, and if my ministry grows, that's the Lord's business. If my ministry decreases for a season, that's the Lord's business too. What I am focused on is getting oil, not getting more well-known. Now, I want to tell you this. There's many of you in this room. The Lord will use you in a ministry that will grow. But I don't care how much your ministry grows. You just settle it now so you're not disappointed. You don't get in a wrong spirit. There will be seasons where the Lord will prune back your ministry. John 15, if a vine is going to bear fruit, the Lord himself is going to cut back some of the branches. He's going to prune it so it will bear more fruit in the years to come. Some people have this unbroken fantasy. You know, I'm 20 years old. I'm going to get connected to God. I'm going to learn the bridegroom message. And I'm just going to go from glory to glory. And what they mean is my ministry will get ever bigger. And bigger and bigger, of course, only for the glory of God. Bigger and bigger ministry. But their heart gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And the Lord says, no, I love you too much for that. No. Again, I've been in ministry for 30 years. I've made this statement so many times. I'm sitting around the table with the staff, the guys and gals. We're in a time of momentum. I could say this in any one of five or ten different times. I mean, seasons of 30 years. Everything is growing. People are responding. Finances are coming. Buildings are multiplying. I mean, things are happening. Everything we're touching seems to be going good. Unity. And I've said this over the years. I go, don't worry. It's going to get bad in just a minute. Now, that sounds like really bad confession in the name of Jesus. I don't receive that. However... When it's really, I've had some real tough times in ministry where everything was breaking. All the people were leaving. We couldn't pay our bills. Nothing was going good. I looked around the table. I said, don't worry. In a minute, it's going to go good. And it isn't that I have some special revelation. I know this, that through the seasons of life, it's like the tide of the sea, some seasons is an increase of impact. and other seasons, it's a decrease. Because God loves us, He orders our life this way. I said, if you are signing up for an ever-increasing, glorious, well-known ministry, forget it. That's not what the kingdom of God is about. Sign up for oil. Sign up to connect with Him. And if you do that, There will be seasons of great increase, but there will be seasons of decrease. But if you're going for the oil, you're not going to be proud when the numbers get big, and you're not going to be depressed when the numbers get little. I assure you this. If you are depressed when the numbers are little, you will be proud when the numbers are big. Because you're living... By the numbers. Your identity is in how big your ministry is. And when it's little, you have pain. And when it's big, you boast. But the Lord has called us to live in another way. We don't live by the numbers. We live connecting with Him. We want oil. We want to be lovers of God. That's our primary and first mandate with the Lord. To connect with Him. To know Him. And then some seasons the numbers get real big. Other seasons the numbers get little. You know, just incidentally. We were just talking the other day. I was talking to a group of our leaders. I said, God TV. They're going to pipe IHOP all over the world. I said, don't worry. It's going to get rough again. (laughs) I said, it will go good first season. But it will be hard again, but don't worry, it will go good again because there's the ebb and flow of the kingdom of God. Now I agree, 
We need to use the name of Jesus and stop the devil's attack. If it's the devil attacking us, we need to use the name of Jesus and cut it off. I do agree with that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm adamant about that. I'm talking about the seasons of the ebb and flow of God's pruning in life. I went to a major well-known ministry, a household name ministry, very famous. And they had me speak to their staff. And they said, do you have a word from the Lord? They said, we have experienced steady growth for 15 straight years or 10 years, 10 or 20% growth every year. I go, yes, I have a word. Thus is the Lord. You're going to get pruned soon. The guy said, well, brother, I don't receive that word. I says, well, you don't have to. It's just Bible. It's just John 15. There it is. It's the God who loves you will prune you. Year two later, he came to me and said, Oh, that was an awesome prophetic word. We had cutbacks and everything. I said, it really wasn't a prophetic word. It's just if you grew 15 straight years, I promise you, you're going to get pruned sooner or later. Because when you get pruned, God removes the branches. He removes the areas of our life that take away our intimacy with God. All of us need to be pruned because God loves us. But some people, old and young alike... They are so addicted to a big ministry that they never get oil in their life. They just never develop the oil. Let's go to verse 6. So there's two types of ministries. Those that push their lamp first and they don't care about the oil... Those are foolish ministries. They love God, but they're foolish. They used to preach in the bridegroom conferences, but they got famous. And they didn't really have time for oil because they were ministry was growing so big. They didn't have time for oil because they were shining their lamp everywhere. And there's the wise ones. Oil first, ministry second. Lord, I want to connect with you. I don't mean just the pleasure of connecting with God, though there is pleasure in connecting with God. I wrote a book called The Pleasure of Loving God. I believe in the pleasure of connecting with God. But I mean more than just disconnecting from the world for pleasure. I'm talking about you and I were designed to encounter God. We have to encounter God in order to flow out of it to give it to other people. It's more than memorizing sermons or songs. We speak in the overflow of our life with Him, our secret life in God... A lot of people can memorize a song or a sermon, but beloved, we don't want to just be an echo. We don't just want to memorize somebody's thing, which I think it's good to use other people's things, but make sure it becomes reality. So then when you say it, you are a voice and not just an echo. That's what uh, Corey Russell is going to be talking about today. I don't care what his, his title says. He will be talking about a voice and not an echo. He does it in every sermon. And the knowledge of God. I guarantee you that's what he'll be talking about. So make sure you're here. Front and row seat. Man, he's going to blow your... It's going to really touch you. Wes Martin as well. These guys are just locked into this theme. Anyway, verse 6. At the midnight hour, a cry was heard. And here's the cry. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Now notice, at the midnight hour of human history, and we're approaching that hour soon. We're not quite there, but we're getting really close to it, if not already there. At the midnight hour, God's going to raise up singers and preachers and writers and intercessors And a cry will be heard in the land. Notice what this cry is, the theme of this cry. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. The Holy Spirit is now looking all over the earth for for not just young, but I love to say young people because, I mean, premier on the Lord's heart is raising up a young adult worship movement in the earth. The Lord spoke that so dramatically through number numerous prophetic voices. Right now He is raising up a worldwide uh, young adult worship prophetic and prayer movement all over the earth and they're going to bring in one billion new souls into the kingdom of God. Well, let me tell you this. God is going to raise up a cry ahead of time. And he's going to raise up people like you. Weak and broken people like you, like me. 
weak people who cannot make this work if God does not help. You qualify. But notice what your message is, verse 6. You are going to sing, and maybe only three people will hear you today. Maybe you're leading a prayer ministry and only three people show up. But know this. Your message is this. You're singing. You're speaking. Maybe three show up to your Bible study. Beloved, when I was 18, 19, and 20, I taught numerous Bible studies. Numerous. Hundreds. Where only three or four showed up. I came with more pages of sermon notes than people showed up. I came with 28 pages of notes and four people. I said, well, should I read it to you or should I just talk to you? They all just said, just talk to us. But I read my notes anyway. I'd come with 25 pages. Sermon notes. But here's what your message is. I don't care how small your crowd is right now. Don't worry about the size. Because God is raising up a cry in the earth right now. And here's what your cry The bridegroom God is coming. The bridegroom God is coming. That's one part of the cry. He is God, but he is a passionate bridegroom. He is God. He is king, but he is a lovesick God. He is a bridegroom God. This is your message. It's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna take people by surprise. They're gonna say, he's, he's a lovesick God. I never heard talk like that. He's ravished in his heart for you. He loves you. The God who loves you. Then you're going to say, well, it's not only the God who loves you. He's coming. He's going to manifest his power. Coming means he's going to manifest his power. But then there's a third message. Not only that he's a bridegroom God. Not only that he's going to manifest his power. And he's going to manifest his power in revival before he shows up at the second coming in the sky. He's going to come near us in intimacy. He's going to come to us in revival before he comes for us at the second coming. So when we talk about Jesus coming, he's coming to some of you right here in this conference. He's stirring your heart. He's coming to you in that small way, but it's legitimate. It's valuable. It's valid. But he's going to not just come to individuals. He's going to come to whole regions called the end time revival. That's your message. He's coming. The breakthrough's coming. The breakthrough's coming. So message number one, he is a bridegroom. He is a lovesick God. Message number two, the breakthrough's coming. The breakthrough's coming. The breakthrough's coming for individuals, for campuses, for cities, for nations. That's the message. He's coming. The breakthrough's coming. The breakthrough's coming. We're going to preach on the coming breakthrough and stir people's faith. But not only that, Notice part three of the message of verse six. Go out to meet him. We're going to tell people. It's what I'm telling you right here. It's not enough that he's a lovesick bridegroom. It's not enough that he's going to break through and touch you. You have to rise up and do something in your own life to put yourself before him. You have to contribute to the relationship. Some people have a real confused idea. They say, it's all God and none of me. Forget it. That isn't true. God wants relationship. You count. What you do matters. He wants you contributing to the relationship. You don't earn it. Of course you don't earn it. You can never earn it. But you are the only person that can give God your love. You are the only person that can give him your love. Nobody else can give it to him from your heart except for you. And he won't even give it to himself from you. You give it to him. Yes, inspired by the Spirit, helped by the grace of God. But you must rise up and make changes in your life. You must make time in your schedule to be in the Word. You have to carve out time for prayer. It's critical that we prioritize getting up to go meet the bridegroom in our personal life. Even folks at IHOP, they at IHOP, they think, well, if I just join the IHOP staff, I'll just run into the bridegroom. I go, no, doesn't work that way. You're going to be in a lot of neat settings, some really good prayer meetings. And by the way, at IHOP, we have some really bad prayer meetings too. I've gone to IHOP a number of times 
you know, just kind of feeling, uh, kind of feeling down and out, and uh, I'm tired and bummed out. And I just felt revived in the prayer meeting. When the prayer meeting, wow, the Spirit of God quickened me and strengthened me. But beloved, I've gone to IHOP a few times, full of faith and zeal. Glory to God, I can just feel like I can do anything. And I got depressed sitting in the IHOP prayer meeting. I left, I go, man, I'm glad I'm out of there. My point is, we're just humans, we're folk, we're just weak people. It's the grace of God that does this for us. But we get people that join IHOP and they think just by virtue of joining IHOP, they will somehow just wake up one day and they'll be close to God. I go, no, no, you still have to open your Bible, you still have to quiet your heart, you still have to organize your schedule, you still have to talk to Him from the heart, you still have to say no to sin, yes to God. No to sin, yes to God. You have to live in humility. You have to repent of your sin. That's called getting up to go meet the bridegroom God. Verse 8. The foolish virgins, the five, said to the other five who are wise, Give us your oil. Our lamps are going out. Now, number one, somebody else can't give you their relationship with God. Oil is personal in this context. Oil is your own dialogue in your heart with God. Oil is your own secret history in God. Oil is your own heart responses in love. Somebody can't lay hands on you and give you their life in God. I've had people come, and I wrote a book called Passion for Jesus. They go, lay hands on me till I get passion for Jesus. I go, well, I'm happy to do that, but just know this. At best, you're going to get a nickel. I go, you don't get passion for Jesus in a day from someone laying hands on you. It doesn't work that way. I says, people can lay hands on you, and it can be catalytic. It can kind of jumpstart you a little bit. But at the end of the day, you get passion for Jesus The same way everybody does. Day by day by day by day in the Word and saying yes to the Holy Spirit. I can't give you my oil. You can't give me your oil. Oil is not transferred. And I'm talking about the oil of this context. It's our personal relationship with God. Notice to this. Verse 8 is a, is a, is a heavy, heavy prophecy. The foolish said, We don't have oil. We got a big ministry, but we're not connecting with God at the heart level. We don't have oil. We did back in verse 1, but we don't have it now. We got so busy with our big ministry, we didn't keep the oil in our life in God up to date. Beloved, I have seen many ministries... They were so close to God when they were little and nothing was happening seemingly. They got big and they got too busy to connect with God. Frankly, I see this at IHOP. I see it regularly. I see increase. And the guy or the gal, nothing much was happening in their ministry. A couple years go by and a lot's happening. And they're not connecting with God like they used to. I'm not the judge of those things. But it's a very normal human trait. Being at IHOP doesn't just take care of that. You still have to get oil in your own heart. But notice what they said at the end of verse 8. They said, our lamps are going out. Our lamps are going out. Beloved, I want to prophesy to you, many lamps, many ministries are going to go out. Many men and women that you've never heard of them, There's completely have never, they've never ever made an impact. God is going to bring them to the place of leadership in the body of Christ. There's a great shift. There's a great change coming in the next decade or two in the body of Christ. And many big ministries, their lamps are going to go out. Their huge followings are going to disappear. Why? Because in the coming crisis, sin is going to increase. Do you know... I mean, many of you do have a grasp of this. Do you know how quickly perversion is growing on the Internet? Do you know that I don't, I'm just making up these statistics. I don't really know them. But at least I'm telling you on the front end. (laughs) 
But in about 10 years, there's going to be about 100 million 10-year-olds around the planet that will have access to pornography from age 10. I mean, millions, hundreds of millions. There will be a billion, made-up number, sexually demonized human beings on the planet and not a, not far from now, just because of Internet perversion. There are more people at 8 and 10 years old, give them 10 or 20 more years when they're 30 and 40, they will have so many demons in their life and there might be a couple, there might be a billion of them. I don't know the number. I mean the, the amount of increase of sin, the amount of demonic activity, the amount of the rage of Satan that's going to happen in the end times. People aren't going to go to church out of traditional reasons like they have for the last 50 years to hear kind of a pep talk. They are only going to go if the songs and the sermons are communicating the presence of God that delivers them from darkness with power on their spirit. It's a fact. Right now, lots of ministries can grow with no oil because there's so little discernment in the body of Christ and the crisis hasn't hit yet. But the day is coming when the crisis begins to increase, greater sin, greater demonic activity, greater rage of darkness coming against the church. People don't care what degree you have on your wall. They don't care where you graduated from. They don't care how you say it. All they care is one thing. When you sing or speak, do angels and demons move when you sing your songs? If when you sing... Your simple song, the demon leaves, they're going to come and they're going to say, give me more. They don't care what your reputation is. You may have had the biggest ministry for 50 years. It does not matter what moves angels and demons and releases the power of God is that comes out of oil is the only types of lamps that will survive in the coming hour. Let's stand. I'm going to have... Misty, come on up here. Now, most of you in this room are about 20, plus or minus, a few years. Here's my point. You haven't been in ministry long enough to get oil and lose it. So I'm not, but and I'm talking to you. I mean, there's the guys my age that are, I'm 51. There's the 50-somethings. We've been around. We've had enough time to get oil and lose it a couple times. And I have got it and lost it a couple times. I remember, I'll just tell you, just a a 90-second story. I remember I was traveling around the world with a very famous man named John Wimber. He went on to be with the Lord in November 97. And some of you that are a little older, you know his name. He was a household name in the body of Christ. Had one of the most powerful healing anointings in the Western world. And through a, a, a series of circumstances, he asked me to travel with him. And I remember vividly, it was a turning point in my life. It was June 1991. So that was a long time ago to some of you. I was sitting in a van in Denver, Colorado. And I looked at John. I was in my 30s. And I said, John... I said, how many more conferences do we have planned? And they were big conferences, five and 10,000 people. And those days, those were big conferences. And I said, how many more conferences do we have? He said, we have six big ones still ahead of you. I looked at him. I said, John, I want to I cancel out of the conference. I want to quit traveling with you. And he said, why? Is something wrong? I said, yeah. I said, John, I mean this. I'm backsliding. And he laughed. He goes, oh, Mike, you're not backslidden. I go, no, no, I mean it. I go, when I first started traveling with you, I I would open the word and I would weep before the presence of God. My prayer life, I felt his presence. I have been city to city, nation to nation, key leader to key leader. I said, I have no time for God And I'm ministering on fumes right now. I'm preaching out of yesterday's oil. I don't have oil. I said, John, I mean it. I'm backsliding. I 
said, I'm not involved in a scandal of sin. It's nothing like that. I said, but I don't feel Him like I used to. I don't weep over the Word. I don't feel His presence in prayer. And I can't live this way. I refuse to live this way. And He blessed me. He said, I I appreciate that. He goes, I I release you from your commitments. And I went back to Kansas City and I just said, I'm just not going to travel for some period of time. I'm going to lock in and get oil back in my heart. I'm going to say this to you. Most of you are 20-somethings. You have, you're not old enough to have had oil and lost it, but I assure you, you're no different than the people my age and my generation. We are all the same. We're all the same. You will only get oil if you set your heart that you're not going to live without oil. You're going to say, Lord, my ministry is second, verse 4. I'm going to get oil first, my lamp is second. Oil first. Oil first, oil first, impact second, oil first. And I tell you, if you do that, you are wise in the presence of God. Look at verse 6. At the midnight, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Beloved, the cry is going to come out of people like you. The cry is going to come. God's raising up singers and musicians He's raising up preachers and writers to to release this cry at the midnight hour of human race. So I want you just to open your heart before the Lord. You don't have to do what I'm doing with my hands. Just do what you want. But just let's just wait in the presence of God for a moment.